Good morning, ladies. So before I get started, the song that you sang, so this is somebody right before I came up, um, I don't, the, the young lady in the back, she says, this is a divine appointment from God for you to be here. And I said, amen. Then you started singing. So that's the song I sing to myself every single night so I can quiet down my thoughts and actually go to sleep. That song. You could have picked any song, and it was that song. And I heard it like, oh, thank you, Lord. Yeah, that's so when, you know, your thoughts are like you're trying to fall asleep. So I use that, and it actually reduces all the stress and anxiety of the day. And I just feel like he's holding me in his arms, and I'm just sleeping, and I fall asleep. So thank you. Yes. I love when he gives me all of those little kisses from heaven. Yes. So, um... Where do I start? There's just so much, and I just I love to be with all of you amazing ladies. Let me just share a little bit about what we do at Breath of Life. So Breath of Life uh, is a, um, a, a resource development center for the local church. So we support the overall church, and we serve over 400 churches in the U.S., Latin America, Asia, Canada, um, Germany. I think that's where we're at right now, and yeah, some parts of Mexico. And the Lord really has given us favor to create a space where we can counsel, because we do professional Christian counseling, where we do mentoring and coaching and speaking and education. Our, our mission really is to lead the hurting to hope. So anytime the Lord allows us an opportunity to have a microphone in front of amazing, a group of people, we're always bringing in the counseling aspect, so the psycho, psycholo, psychology aspect and the theology and we bring those together with our life story. So we talk about the hard things that people are going through in the churches that normally are not spoken about in the churches. We see the worst of the worst of the things that people are going through in the churches. And we think just because we come to the Lord that those things are gone. But actually, when we come to the Lord, those things are exposed that we've been dealing with. And so we, we tend to come to church and over-spiritualize things and think that if we can just pray them off, if we can just fast enough, if we could just read our Bible enough, we will be okay. But how many of you have tried that and are still dealing with some issues? Right? So that's really where we come in to help you go through your past and unpack some of the trauma you have maybe have gone through in your past. And past doesn't have to be childhood past, but it could be. It could also be young adult in your relationship and then bring all that together so that you fully can live in freedom. Because if that stuff is still suppressed, the enemy will always have a hold on you. Okay, so that's really where we come from. And I come to you not as a doctor, not even as a, a minister, but I really come to you as a woman after God's own heart that has learned to have that glorious life in him. But that didn't happen overnight. That probably didn't start happening. I'm 47 years old. That probably didn't start happening until I was like 34 years old. So imagine all those years. Um, can we have, I'm going to introduce to you my family really quick. This is our family. This is, was taken in 2020 when I graduated with my doctorate. And that took one shot. It was wonderful, really quick, easy to do. But it took years of work to get us there. Years of work to get us there. Our oldest son he is 31. His name is Jordan. I had him when I was, I was pregnant at 15 years old. Okay, so I'm going to tell you that I understand heartache. I understand pain. I understand what it is to go through that, but not get stuck in that. Okay, so I had him when I was um, 15. I was married to his father um, when I was 16 years old. I was not a Christian at this time. I knew of God. I used to pray like this, Lord, I live at, and I would give him my address. <laughs> Just in case you've forgotten about me, <laughs> that's how I would talk to God, okay? That's honest truth. That was my story before God. Um, and uh, at 16, so I, I was married at 16. Um, when I was 21, I had my daughter who's in black um, with the jeans. Her name is Alexis. She's 25 years old. I had her when I was 21. So that, those two are from my first marriage. Because at 28, my first, when I was 27, my first husband had an affair with my best friend in ministry. Okay, so at 21, I came to know the Lord. And I served the Lord with all my heart. Um, but I served the Lord with all my heart as a Band-Aid so I wouldn't deal with the stuff I had in my heart. And so I had to learn to, sometimes we get in and we just become very busy 
and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. The more you do, the less you look inside, right, which is not healthy. <laughs> so I didn't look inside until that interruption started. And so, so those are my first two kids. So Jordan is 31. He married his high school sweetheart, who is Izzy, and she's holding our grandson, Elijah, who now is a year and a half. It's really hard to get us all together because we're all in different parts. So there's an outdated picture. And then Julia Rose, who's four, um, four and a half years old. So then I quickly married my second husband. Like, I didn't even go through all of the healing process. Um, my, my daughter, Alexis, had been suicidal when she was five when her father left the house. So when I'm talking to you about pain, I understand pain. And I'm sharing this because I don't want you to think that I'm coming and just saying, well, just do this. Well, no, it's not easy to do this. But it is possible to do this because we do have the Holy Spirit who is our counselor 24-7 with us, right? So um, when, I, when I met my second husband, um, which is Rudy, um, he, he became her papa. And so even though there, there were some red flags, I felt so committed to getting married to him because I could not pull a man away from my daughter again. And he had, was a very new believer, Everything we do, we tell people, don't try this at home. Young girls, don't try this at home, okay? This does not work like this. Um, there's a lot of pain and suffering in that. Um, so we got married, and it's how many of you are a blended family? That's a hard thing to do, to blend family when there's children, when there's children that are not from both mother and father in the home, when there's an ex-husband, when there's an ex-family. I mean, that is just a big disaster if it's not done in a very healthy way. And so we started to try to blend a family, and it was really difficult. I was trying to be a mama bear over my children because they had suffered so much, and my husband was trying to be just for me to be his wife. And it was really difficult. So he, and I'm giving you a short version of all of this. If you want the nitty-gritty, you'll have to bring us for a marriage conference. <laughs> okay? So, but he actually ended up leaving me when I was pregnant with my son, Noah, the, old, the one over to my right, to, to my left. Um, I was seven months pregnant with him, and he left the house, and he left. He was now a ministry leader as well, and he left in front of my pastor and in front of my parents, and I was pregnant with my son, Noah. And he then, all he became a bachelor, right, and then had an affair with two, two ladies from work. And the Lord really took me to this place of full interruption in my life. I had done life all the way I wanted to. I had already been a Christian probably for, by that time, 11 years. But I was doing life the way I thought to do life. And I was playing church. Even though I had a heart after God, I really wasn't looking inside my heart. I wasn't processing all the pain. And so I went into my prayer closet because everybody told me to divorce my second husband, including my mother-in-law. Okay, my mother-in-law is a prayer warrior. Um, she was not Christian at the time, but she said, Lord, take my son, fix my son or take him. What a bold prayer from a mama. And she told me, leave him, because I, that's not the way I raise my son. And he, the way he is treating you, like, no, like, that's not okay. So she told me to leave him. My pastors told me to leave. Everybody told me to leave my second husband. And I went into my prayer closet, and I said, Lord... I am sick and tired of doing life my own way. Like, will you, will you look inside my heart and see what needs to happen? Will you tell me what you want me to do? And he said, yes. I want, I'm going to restore your marriage, and it's going to start with you. I'm like, with me? He's the one sleeping around. Why, why me? Right? Like, why me? Right? Um, and really, what it was is that I had to go through my whole process of healing. My grandfather was an adulterous man. My father was, my first husband was, and my second husband was. Who's the common denominator in all of that? Me. The brokenness that I was attracting that kind of man, the boundaries that I wasn't setting, the low self-esteem that was attracting someone to come in and hurt me that way. So I had to go through a healing process. And can I tell you that I did that with the Holy Spirit? He was my counselor. I didn't even know all this counseling stuff. He led me through a whole journey of counseling since I was a little girl. He started to heal things in my life. So later on, the Lord restores our marriage. Praise the Lord, because he, he is true to his word. Uh, he restored my marriage the way he wanted to, not the way I wanted to. My husband never came on his knees and with a big old bouquet of roses and said, Here, I'm sorry. He didn't do that. 
it was the way the Holy Spirit needed it to happen because I had to also release control. I had a lot of control because I was very scared. I was very scared that this was going to be my second failed marriage and how ashamed and um, how ashamed I would be because my first husband would always say, it's never going to work. It's always your fault. And so I had, to, I had to combat all those voices and really come to this place of understanding and really tasting heaven in the midst of my chaos. So the Lord starts to restore our marriage. We go, and I get pregnant now with Abella, who is now she's 15 years old. And I was seven months, uh, Noah was seven months when I found out I was pregnant with Abella, and I cried. And I said, what if my marriage doesn't resist this? What if he leaves, and I'm going to be a single mom with four kids? What am I going to do? But really, after Abella, our whole entire life changed. So for the last 15 years, 16 years, because I was pregnant with her, we have been fully devoted, both my husband and I, to we, the Lord called us to leave everything and plant a church. Then he told us to leave the church and pastor pastors. And then he said, in that, I want you to equip yourself because I want you to be a counselor for my people. And fast forward in 2020, we launched Breath of Life right before the pandemic. I thought I heard wrong, <laughs> but God's like, no, you heard right. In 2020, uh, we went from a team of one to about 19 people. And we had 1,500 sessions in 2020 in the pandemic of pastors and pastors' wives and pastors' children and leaders and believers. I mean, we're not exclusive to believers, um, but really that's, that's basically the population that we work with. We, the Lord has called us to be a safe place for the church to go through their healing process. In 2021, uh, we had 2,500 sessions. And I don't know about this year, but this year's probably going to be more. And then the, um, at the beginning of this year, he blessed us with a location, which now we have a physical location. All those downloads happened in the shower, by the way. He's like, now I want you to do this. I'm like, okay, I'd come out. My husband's like, what? We're supposed to do this, Lord. <laughs> We're supposed to do this, honey. And um, so we've been committed to doing that. And my husband works alongside us, and he uh, works with pastors as well with church planting. And uh, that's our mission, to really stand in the gap for marriages, for um, hurt, the hurting in the church. The hurting and have you ever been hurt? Have you hurt people? Yeah, that's our passion. That we would have healthy, not perfect, healthy believers. We won't be perfect until we get to heaven, but that we would be able to look inside and go and deal with the stuff that's keeping us and holding us back in that same behavior of those things that are not letting us, right? Like, I'm trying, but I keep going back, and it's like this thing that keeps us back and going into those hard places. Are we good? All right, we ready to jump into the Word? Okay, now you know about me, now we can jump into the Word, okay? Um, to me, it's important that you understand who I am and the heart that I bring. We're very transparent about our story. I made a pledge in my life before God, a vow, that I would not let one tear be shed in vain. That all my hurt and pain would be exposed to people because they could see that the glorious Lord still saves still does miracles, still redeems, still restores. He still does that. That's not just in the Bible. He still does that today. But he doesn't do it with a magical wand. It takes your part to do the work to get to that place with him. Because if he would just come and heal you from your past, when you get into really hard situations, you would default to that past behavior. So he's not an enabler of bad behavior. He wants to equip you and give you emotional muscles and spiritual muscles, but we have to build them. It's like going to the gym. It would be great just going to the gym and, ah, like, I lost all the weight. I have all the muscles. It doesn't work that way. They have to build those muscles, right? I know. Wouldn't it be great if we could just do that? But then it, what would it do? We would go back to the same eating behavior and then go back and then play this thing and really not have the muscle or the capacity to live out fully what God has called us to live out. All right, so I want to go into the story of Joseph. How many of you know Joseph the dreamer? Yes? Yes. Okay, so we normally don't see Joseph's life from this perspective. Joseph came from a very dysfunctional family. Very dysfunctional family. How, how do we know this? Let me, let's go into Genesis 37, 3 to 10. We're going to start there. If you have your Bibles or your phone app, um, if not, you can follow along. I'll be here. But if not, also take out something so that you can write down the nuggets that the Lord's going to give you this morning. 
Okay? It's okay if you have your phone, but don't be jumping on Instagram. Stay on your notepad. Okay? Because he has something for you this morning. And I would, I would hate for you to leave this amazing place when you're here with your beautiful sisters and having this conversation where God is downloading things to you and you would leave it at the table and not take it with you. He's like saying, here is, your, here is a, gem, a gem for you to put on your crown. And you're like, oh, I just left it there. I want you to take a hold of it, write it down so that you can actually put this into practice. Okay? Because it's not just another beautiful breakfast women's gathering. In every time that someone sat with Jesus, there was transformation. How many of us want some transformation? Right? I do. Every day. I do not want to be who I was yesterday. I do not want to be who I was this morning. Every moment I am trying to grow to be more like him. Okay? So don't leave your nuggets. Don't leave without your nuggets today. So let's go into uh, Genesis 37, 3 to 10. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any uh, other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their brother loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Well, we see Israel, first of all, he has a favorite, right? And then there is hate in the family. That's already dysfunction. And if we even go back some chapters before, there's rape that happens in that family that's covered up. Very dysfunctional stuff that happened. I mean, you don't need to go to Netflix or any kind of movies. I mean, you just have to read that story, and it becomes its own Netflix series, for those of you that like seriously. I mean, it's right there. It's dysfunction. We just never see Joseph from this place, but I want you to see Joseph from this place, okay? Then it says, uh, verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. The second time, hate. God wants us to know that he was hated, okay? He, saved, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Eight, he says, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over, uh, over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. For the third time, hate. Because of his dream and now what he had said. Now, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? So father, this was his favorite son, and he wasn't going to have it. He wasn't going to stand by his son to try and see, like, help me understand what the dream is. Like, how can I help you achieve what God is calling you to? That's a healthy family. This was dysfunction. Everybody was in their own right to do whatever they wanted, even though they had a favorite, supposedly a favorite. So then we see on, we'll jump down to 18. It says, they saw him. So moving forward now, now, this was in the beginning. Now Joseph goes and goes on his walk. And now we go to 18. It says, they saw him from afar, so he's walking. And before he came to them, they conspired against him to kill him. His brothers are seeing him walk, and they want to go kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what, what will become of his dreams. Do you see what happens when there's hidden hate? Hate that's suppressed? It can turn, it'll come out as killing, and it might not be physical killing, but it could be the killing of a relationship, of a dream, okay? And some of us harbor hate, and that's actually one of the deadly sins that the Lord hates, okay? He does hate that, okay? So we have to be careful about those things that we're harboring because it's going to come out. The enemy will take, the enemy will multiply whatever you have hidden, but the moment you expose it, the Lord will heal it. So what is hidden will be multiplied by the enemy. What is exposed will be healed by the Lord. And the Lord is a gentleman. He's not going to go in and say, 
give me all your hurt and pain. Like, let me pull it out. No, no, no. He wants you to come to terms with it and say, this is what I've been harboring. Here it is. And that's hard. I hear a lot of people in counseling that says, I am never going to talk about that until, like, that's between, I'm going to hold it as a secret until my grave. But that's the lie of the enemy. Because the Lord knows it, you know it, but the enemy knows it also. And when you least expect it, like when Joseph least expected it, now what is He's going to be at a pit. He's going to be at the bottom of a pit. So we have to be very careful with those things that we are harboring in our heart. I don't know why this keeps turning off. All right, here we go. So then it says, uh, 20, come now. Okay, um, I read that one, sorry. Moving on, 21. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of his hand, saying, let us not take his life. Thank God for Reuben. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him, uh, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now he's in this pit, and this is where I want to focus on as our first point, the pit. What is this pit? The pit is any concealed danger or trap. And for our context here, it's anything in your past. So for a moment, I want you to close your eyes with me. I know it's going to be a little bit different, just for like 30 seconds. And I want you to think about a hurt or pain that you've had in the past. And something that's had you trapped like, held on to. And I want you to bring that to the surface. That's your pit. And you don't have to say it out loud. This is, this is you coming to terms with your pit. And you may have a few things in this pit. Okay, now we open our eyes. Okay, so what is your pit? Don't, you don't have to answer. In my life, I can share about my life. My life, my pit, there was a lot of stuff in that pit. There was my parents. I came from a very dysfunctional family. My father was a womanizer. He, there was a lot of domestic violence, and my dad would drink, and I would see that. That was in that pit. I grew up very young. I lost my childhood at a very young age. Um, I, I started my puberty when I was nine years old, so I stopped playing with Barbies at nine years old and started blow-drying my hair at nine years old because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. At 11 years old, I fall in love with this man in shine and white that came in the white horse in his shining armor to rescue me from this. He was four years older than I was. That's all stuff in my pit. I go and then I get pregnant at 15, stuff in my pit. There's a lot of loss, a loss of my childhood, a loss of my innocence. I didn't have dad with me constantly. He was, he was there in and out. But emotionally, he wasn't there. My mom wasn't emotionally there. I love my parents. And, I, and they, actually, my mom, I'm, she would have came with me if I wouldn't have somewhere else to go because she, she, she comes and travels with me now. But um, my mom didn't know what to do with me. She had me when she was that 17 years old, and she was dealing with all of this chaos with my dad. So all of this is in my pit. And all of these things come out when you are in relationship because relationship is what causes the pain, Right? In those pits, all of that's relationship with mom, relationship with dad, relationship with this guy, lack of relationship with God. All that stuff's in that pit. So that thing, all that stuff stays suppressed until you are in a relationship at an older age, and boom, all of that stuff comes out. All of that stuff comes out. Because it's like this big, giant pot of things in this pit that when now you're in this relationship, all of these things come out against this relationship because they've never been dealt with. I had low self-esteem. I tried to take my life when I was 14 years old. That's all that stuff in my pit. And I had to really learn how to process that stuff in my pit. So you have to confront what's in the pit to disarm it, which is why I asked you to identify what's in your pit. And I know that this is hard. This is what I do on a day-to-day basis with people. This is not easy. But can I tell you that the Lord wants to heal you from whatever is in that pit? Will you allow him to heal you? Oftentimes we say yes, but you know why we don't? Because it gives us a sense of 
a right to be angry, a right to harden our heart, a right to walk around with his self-righteousness, like, you're not going to hurt me again. And instead of allowing God to heal our heart and allow him to protect us, we become the protector of our own heart. But, and then we sing, this is how I fight my battles. We're saying that he fights our battles, but the reality is that we fight our own battles. So we get stuck in that pit, and in that pit, it's like a hole, and it takes you in a downward spiral, and the enemy has you like this, no matter what you do. And you look at your relationships, and you look at the people around you, and what is it that you're contributing to that? Do you bring life into your relationships, or do you suck the life out of them? When you walk into a room, are they like excited to see you or they're like, oh no, here she comes. There, I, know, I know that I say that about somebody. Oh no, here she comes. Okay, I could do this. I could do this. Because they're draining or they're very needy. Let's, I'm talking real stuff. This is real. I'm talking about myself. I, see a, I could already name the person that's going to walk into my house and I'm like, oh, I got to be geared up for this one. I got to be prayed up so that I don't default into my pit behavior. Okay? Because I'm responsible for myself before God, regardless of how anybody else treats me. It's just that my husband, my second husband, or my first husband, they don't deserve for them, for you to treat them that way. No, I don't do it if he deserves it or not. I do it because my glorious father has asked me to be this way. And if I honor him, he'll take care of everything else. So that's why it's important that we go into this pit. In this pit, not in my personal pit, but I've seen this pit, and it could even be here, there is sexual abuse of when you were a child. There are, in my personal pit, words of dissatisfaction or, you'll, or, or you know, that there was these expectations that I never, ever amounted to. There was, in this pit, there is this teenage pregnant mom. When I became a teenage pregnant mom, I lost all of my friends. The parents thought that I was contagious and their kids were going to be pregnant. I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't work that way. It's not something in the water, parents. You know this, right? But they were like, she's bad influence. She's a bad, I'm a straight A student, but I was a bad influence because of that decision. So that's my pit. And recently, I've had to process some of those things in the pit, even of friendships. Because I didn't have friends growing up after I got pregnant, because after you become a mom, it's really hard to develop friendships at 16. There aren't other 16-year-olds back in that day, even so much now, that have babies, right? Like, so who do I hang out with? My girlfriends are still partying and all of that when I wasn't a Christian, or there is nobody that, that I could really relate to at my age. And then I go and get married, and my best friend has an affair with my husband, so there's another destruction of that pit coming to life again. So just recently, in this last couple months, and even this last couple, three weeks ago, I jumped on a plane to go be with somebody, with a friend that I had met, a pastor, and I had never done that before. I had never had a girl's trip like that. And I cried, and I said, Lord, you're healing me. You're reminding me of that 15-year-old, 16-year-old girl that didn't have friends, that you are restoring friendships. And now I am intentional about building friendships, and I'm 47 years old. But see, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. It's all more about the intentionality about what he wants to do of healing you in that pit. Because I could say, well, I'm a doctor. I'm a minister. I'm a 47-year-old. Like, that doesn't matter. No, it does matter. He still wants to heal me. Because every time I step, take a step forward, the enemy's going to try and pull me back. But he will have nothing to hold on to if, the, if I allow the Lord to heal me. And the problem is that we're not allowing the Lord to heal us. And we're holding on to this, and we're getting stuck to this pit. So what you have to confront, the pit to disarm, to disarm it. So whatever it is that's in your pit that you thought about, you need to confront that. You need to sit in your prayer time, and you need to confront that. Well, I encourage you. You don't need to do anything. I encourage you, highly encourage you to do that for your own good. Even if there are people that have hurt you, you need to confront that. And you're like, well, how do I do that? How do I do that if they're not alive anymore? You write a letter. You write a letter to them. And you confront the pain that that person caused you. 
That's counseling right there. Or you can grab an empty chair and put it in front of you. And you can imagine that person, put a picture of that person in front of you and talk to that person. And beat up the chair. <laughs> no, we were going to speak to the chair. We're going to keep, it's not the chair's fault. <laughs> because as you are speaking, you are bringing it to the light and the, the Lord is healing it. That doesn't mean that you need to reconcile every, like, it doesn't mean that you have to become friends with your abuser or friends with that person that hurt you. It means that you no longer will have that pain over your life. It's not going to erase the memory. It can, but it most likely doesn't erase the memory. It just allows it to be a scar instead of it being an open wound. And when it's a scar, you're like, look at what the Lord has done. When so I have some young ladies are like, oh, I want to be like you. I'm like, are you ready to go through the war I went through? These are my scars. Let's heal your scars and embrace your scars because you have a story and you have a purpose that's different than mine. I don't, I don't, I at all don't want my children, my daughters to go through what I went through. Oh, heck no. No, that's why I work so hard and go through the pain so it doesn't get passed on to the next generation. Someone is going to stop it. And I said, not on my watch. Not on my watch will my girls be teenage pregnant mamas. Not on my watch. Not on my watch will my boys be adulterous men. Not on my watch. Now, I can't control them but I can change patterns and speak life and teach them about my own mistakes so that they don't fall into that pit. And man, I am so thankful to the Lord when I see my 31-year-old son. What a man of God he is. He treats his wife like sometimes I'm like, honey, you got you to gotta step it up. <laughs> it is, it's just so beautiful. Why? Because he says, I don't want to do the same mistakes that I saw lived out at home. And this is a young man who received hurt and pain from dad and hurt and pain from his stepdad to now have a restored family that says, he says to my, my husband, I want to be like you when I grow up. When he was 15, he said, I hate you for the pain that you're causing my mom. When the Lord restores, he restores everything, but it's up to us to go into that pit. Are you guys... Are you guys okay with your understanding this, your pit? Have you identified this pit? Okay. You identify it, but not to stay in the pit. How many of you want to stay in your pit? No. 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 If you do, you can have a chat with me after, and I will help you see why you don't want to stay in that pit, okay? So will you do the work to become healthy and, as a result, break generational curses in your family? Now, when Jesus comes and dies on the cross, generational curses are broken in the spiritual. The problem is, is that if we don't change behaviors, they continue to happen on earth. That's why you see drug addict mom, drug addict son, grandson. It's a lineage of things that happen. And what we do is we rebuke that. And we'll pray and we say, rebuke the enemy over our lives, which is good. That's the spiritual part. But what are you doing to change the earthly part? What are you doing to break that pattern? What do you do? Yes, you process what's in the pit. So I can pray against teenage pregnancy all day long until I'm blue in the face. But if I don't sit with my girls and help build their self-esteem and speak them and, and let them know, man, when I was your age, you know, I dealt with this. I understand what it is to look at yourself in the mirror and not like what you're seeing, because that happens to me right now sometimes. But this is what I do. I say I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and this body doesn't define who I am. And so speaking that and, and affirming her and spending time with her is what helps break that. Do you see how it's not just praying, but there's also the work behind faith with action? Because faith without action is dead. That's what we're seeing, a lot of, like, walking in the dead Christians that are not walking with. And that's really sad because we have the person of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And we're not, we're like, quiet. Like, just stay there. I want to be this way. And he says, no, go forgive. Go pray for your enemy. How do you do that? I had to do that with my ex-best friend and my, my ex-husband. 
I went and I said sorry to them for all the hate that I caused them. And not once have they apologized for the pain they caused me. But you know what? I really don't care because I get to live the glorious life in him now. And God will take care of them whenever he needs, whatever he needs to do. It's not in my power. And now they got married. So my, my ex-best friend is my granddaughter's abuelita. Abuela. So I'm grandma. My husband is grandpa. Pa, she calls him. She's abuelita. No, abuela. My ex-husband's abuelo. And my daughter-in-law's mom is abuelita. She's in that circle. Does she deserve it? Heck no. Not in my eyes. And I'm the one that hosts the birthday parties because I have a really great relationship with my daughter-in-law. She's like, can you help me host? I'm like, of course. And who's right there? My ex-husband and my ex-best friend. We're not one big happy family because we don't believe that it's one big happy family. There was divorce, and our family needs to know the, the pain and the hurt of the divorce. Still to this day, they have to deal with that. But I am not going to add the added pressure of having hate in my heart against them. My job is to show them Jesus when I'm around them. So when they come, I'm like, hey, can I serve you? Would you like something to drink? Can I, can I serve you? Would you like some food? Is that easy? Absolutely not. But when I do that, it's like the Lord, I just feel like he's giving me kisses from heaven. Like, I got you, baby girl. I got you, baby girl. It's his strength in me. Because my humanity would be like, they should not be invited to the party. They can't go do their own party, right? That's my humanity. I am not that holy to think that I could just be like a carpet and someone's going to step on me every day. That's not, I'm not that holy. And that's not even holy. Okay? I have to understand my humanity. But the, the Bible says that when I am weak, he is strong. And he perfects himself in my weaknesses. Which is why I let you know my weaknesses. So that you can come to turn with your weaknesses so he can be strong in that. You're not to do this in your own strength. You're to do this in his strength. Okay, so are you ready to pay the price? Okay, you know what you're signing up for when you say yes. Okay. That means that you're looking inside. You're going into that pit. You're checking to see what's in there. And you're like, oh, there's unforgiveness towards my mom. Oh, this. Oh, this. But they don't deserve it. We're not talking about if they deserve it. He's ask, the Lord's asking you to search your pit so that then you don't get bound in prison, which is our next step. Let's go into the next one. All right, let's continue. Genesis 39, 1 through 6, it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had been brought, down, brought him down there, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. So remember this Joseph that was hated, he found favor, and he was now lifted up. Okay, are we good? So this is what's happening. He's with Potiphar, um, and let's see what happens. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended to him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So here, the master is like, man, this man has favor. I need him next to me. Whatever blessing he's getting, I want it. And that's what he did. And people will do that when they know that there's the Lord in you, the Holy Spirit. The problem is that we're not shining that Holy Spirit. Okay? That's what should be said about all of us. Man, there's so much favor in you. I need you next to me. And that people that don't even know the Lord should say that. Like, I need you next to me. Like, I need you to be like the boss or the second in command because there's just so much blessing over this lady's life. But what happens is that we don't shine it because we're still in our pit. Do you see why I'm trying to get you out of the pit? Okay. All right. So then we go on. In verse 5, it says, From the time that he made him overseer in the house and everything he had it, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was all that he had in the house, in the field. So then he leaves Joseph in charge. I'm going to continue moving forward. And look what happens. As soon as his master heard the words, oh, sorry. So he leaves him in charge. I skipped some things because it's a really long passage. He leaves him in the house. The wife then sees him, right? And she's like, well, there's favor in him. I'm going to see if I can make him fall. So she gets attracted to him, and Joseph stays firm. And he could. He could totally... Be with this woman, and nobody would know. But he stays firm. 
He stays firm in his values, in his integrity before God, and that gets her really fired up. Fired up, then now she starts to lie. And now she says in this next verse, as soon, she says, this is the way that your servant treated me? And, no, this is actually, I'm sorry. Yes, that his wife spoke to him. So his, the wife tells Potiphar and says, I can't believe that he, this is what he did. I have, I have his robe right here, like his tunic, because he took it. She took the tunic, and he took off running. And he said, I'm not going to be guilty of, of being in bed with you. Okay? So because she was so angry, she goes and takes and says, see, he was with me. And she now starts to lie against Joseph. So then Joseph is put into the prison. So poor guy, he's from the pit, now he goes into the prison. Okay, so this is our present. And let me tell you what this present is in the prison. It's another form of a pit. What do I mean by that? What I mean that is that right now in your present situation, you could be going through a prison in your mind that has a lot to do with what the stuff that's happened in your pit that is being brought to the surface. Are we good? So some of you are imprisoned in your mind with fears and insecurities and hurts that they're not present hurts. They could be, but they're also compounded by the stuff in the pit. So if you experienced a loss in a relationship or someone passed away, you have all this grief and mourning, that's only going to be magnified if you haven't dealt with the loss that's in your pit. Okay, because it just multiplies. You have to release it. You have to address it so that it doesn't multiply and you have the strength to deal with it in the present. But a lot of times we get stuck in the present because we haven't dealt with our past. Okay? So the, pit, the, the prison, this is where you choose to take responsibility. Because you can't go back. You can't go back in time as a child so the stuff in the pit doesn't happen. But now that you're imprisoned in your mind with present situations, you have a responsibility. You can choose to take this responsibility to go back to your pit in your mind. Do a scan. Lord, search my heart. Psalm 139, 23, 23 and 24. Search my heart, O God. If there's anything offensive in me, search it. Search it. And he starts to do a scan, and he starts to bring things up from your past. When he does that, embrace it so that you can offer them to the Lord and he can heal them. So that it's Psalm 139, 23, and 24. It's not, it's not, a, it's so, so, Psalm 139, 23, and 24. That wasn't on my notes. But I'll, I'll, yes. That should be our daily devotional prayer. Search my heart, O oh God, if there's anything offensive in me. Bring it out. Bring it out. And you know that there's offensive things in us when we, when we harbor someone else's pain against us. That's an offensive thing. Because sin isn't just the things that, you're not, that you know not to do and you don't do them. Like, you know, you're not supposed to be becoming an alcoholic or fornication or adultery. All that list of sin, right? A whole bunch of sin. Sin is also when you know to do the right thing and you don't do it. So when you know that you need to forgive and you don't forgive, that's a sin. And then you're bound to that sin. When you know that you're supposed to pray for your enemy but you can't, that's a sin. That's why the Bible says that we're all sinful people. Even when we come to Christ, we're all sinful people. We constantly have to confess our sin to the Lord. He forgave our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. So even when we know to do the good things and don't do those things, it's sin. And the enemy holds on and, and, and keeps you in the prison of your mind because of those sins. So what is it that God is calling you to live out today? Is he calling you to forgive? Is he calling you to go back into your pit? Some of you may have gone through some really hard things, like my adulterous, the adulterous affairs that I went through. Perhaps it's time to stop blaming the other person and it's time to look inside and see what in me is broken. That changed my life. Every day, instead of looking outward, I look inward. Inward. If anything you're going to remember tonight, today I want you to remember inward. What is God teaching me? What is God healing me? 
That doesn't mean that everything is your fault. But first we start there before we place the blame out. It's easy to blame. That's a defense mechanism. But that's not going to get you out of your pit, and it's not going to free you from your line. And look at what's so interesting is that Joseph continued, and all he did is he worshiped. He also continued to interpret dreams. He continued to live out what God had called him to, even in the prison. How many of us are in our prison of our mind but cannot live out what God's called us to because that prison has us so bound? Joseph wasn't bound by the prison. His physical, he was limited to the way he was going to be physically because he was in prison, but his spirit was free. And he continued to live out that glorious life in the Lord because he was a man of integrity, and he continued. How many of us actually really do praise God in the middle of our storm? Amen. Good. That doesn't mean that you can't get mad. You can get mad. David got mad. Read the Psalms. He was mad. He was like, what have you forsaken me, God? He wasn't like, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me, God? This is painful. This is hurting me. But don't get stuck in that. Release it and continue to walk in the midst of your trial. Because the way that you respond to your prison determines how you're going to live out your promise. keeps turning off on me. Prison can build your character and capacity to walk in your promise. It's what you're learning. See, Joseph continued to interpret dreams. So then when he got to the promise, he was able to sustain the promise that came. When he was able to go, and we'll see what the promise looks like in a moment. So how you respond to your prison will determine the path of your legacy. Will you sit here and still be a victim of all your pain? We could sing it, we can worship, we could say it, but we don't live it. And I'm telling you because I see this day in and day out, day in and day out of people in our offices. That are you really willing to do this hard work, to go into the pit, to process the pit, and then in your present to continue to be a woman of God in the midst of this, of living out what God has called you to even if all hell is breaking against you? That is hard. But when you do that, that builds your emotional muscles, your mental muscles, your physical muscles, your spiritual muscles to live out the promise. And we see that in the life of Joseph. So let's see what happens here. In Genesis 45, he says, Then he said, I am your brother Joseph. So by this time, there's a famine where Joseph's family is. And they have to go to where Joseph is to get the food. How many people in your world are in famine and they need to come to you to get what you have? How is your heart? Will you receive them back? So the family comes back. And jo this is years later. And Joseph is there. And Joseph now says, I am your brother. I'm the one that you sold into Egypt. He confronted his pit. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God sent me ahead of you to save many lives. How many of you are being sent ahead to save many lives? But you're still stuck in your pit and you're still imprisoned by your, by your mind that you're not able to live out this promise. We're almost finished. So the promise is the future. Is your heart in the right place to receive God's promise? Some of us are praying endless prayers and we're coming to prayer nights here. I saw that. I love that you have prayer nights here. But can I tell you that God may not give you the answer if your heart's not in the right place? Our heart's condition can abort God's blessing. Okay? And I say that boldly. Do you want to be a deliverer of God's promise and his blessings to others? Or are you the one that's going to abort it? Because... Your heart can't take it because your heart is full of unforgiveness. It's full of resentment and bitterness. And I understand pain. That's why I started with my own pain life. Because you could say there, but you don't know how. Yes, I do know. I may not have experienced the pain that you've experienced, but I do know. I sit with people's pain day in. And this is what I was made to do. I love to sit with people in their pain because I love to see them go from here to the promise. From here to the promise. I will not sit with you here for hours and keep you here. 
not on my watch. We will go through this together. We will walk through this together, and we'll get you to the promise where you get to taste a piece of heaven here on earth. How many of you believe that you can taste a piece of heaven here on earth? You can. It's all about your heart's posture. It's all about your heart's posture. Unforgiveness. And why do I keep saying unforgiveness? Most of the issues that we see in counseling are rooted somewhere, somehow, to unforgiveness. Some of your physical pain that you are experiencing is because there's unforgiveness in your heart. Because there's, there's studies that show that your, ha- your body houses unresolved issues. And so we might have a lot of stress or a lot of pain, like in our stomach or in our heart, and we're like, we got to run to the doctor. Not that the doctor is bad. Go get your, med- your physicals and all the things that you have to do. Be responsible. But can I tell you that if you deal with a lot of stomach issues, you probably have a lot of anger that's suppressed. They're related. If you have a lot of pain in here and you go to the doctor and they can't figure it out, you probably have a lot of sadness that's been suppressed. So you have to give yourself permission to mourn and cry. And that doesn't mean that you lost someone. It could be, but it also could be the mourning of a dream that hasn't been fulfilled or of a life that you thought you were going to be having but you don't have it. Give yourself time to mourn. So before you run to the doctor, ask the Holy Spirit, who is your counselor, is it any emotional, is it anything emotionally related? And ask him to help you release it. Okay, I've walked through people that have gotten off medications when they actually go through counseling. And I'm not just talking about anxiety medication, I'm talking about other medications. Like cholesterol medication, high blood pressure, all of that has to do with unforgiveness, resentment, anger. So when you deal with all of that, whew, now it's like, everything just flows. But the moment that you have any of these things stored up, it becomes a blockage. And it, you'll see it physically in your body. You can feel it. Yeah. Like that's why when someone's going through anxiety, I remember I went to the ER when my first husband, and I found out that he was having the affair. I, I felt like I was going to die. Like, I couldn't breathe. I ran. I'm like, I'm, I'm dying. He's like, no, you don't have anything. I'm like, yes, I do have something. Like, I can't breathe. It was anxiety because my body could not take the overload of the emotional pain that I went through in that moment. So it's a real thing. Your body will tell you that's how God designed us. Isn't that amazing how he designed us? Also, crying. Give yourself permission to cry. Give yourself permission to cry because when you cry, studies show that in each teardrop, there's cortisol, which is a stress hormone. So you reduce stress when you cry. Now, we're not going to be crying all the time. Don't be the crybabies all the time reducing stress. But some people think, I don't need to cry. No, 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 but that's the way that God designed us so that we can release that pain and we're not harboring all of that in our, in our being. So listen to this and with this I'll close. Genesis 50. 20. It said, you brothers of mine meant to harm me, but God, can we say but God? God. Louder. Intended it for a good purpose so he could preserve the lives of many people. So whatever, whatever's in your pit, whatever you're imprisoned, but God, because but God will lead you to the promise. And this isn't a supernatural thing that happens. It, that's already, he already wants you to live in the promise. That's why he sent his son to die for us. So he already wants you to. It's something that we have to embrace in the natural. And a lot of us don't want to do that. Your testimony will save many lives. The testimony I shared with you today, and this is very quickly, has helped many lives. But there are people that I will never be able to share my testimony with that you can. And you know that you can't really get to that glorious life in him and sharing your testimony until you deal with the stuff that's in your pit. That's why we have so many believers with their mouth quiet. And the Lord's like, wake up, sleepers. Share what I have done for you. Share where you were and where you are now. That's what our generation needs today. They need to see 
people living out God's purpose in their life. That it's not bound to the four walls of the church. It's in your workplace. It's in school. It's in your relationships. That when your grandkids see you, they see a grandmother that's reflecting the love of the Lord, even if that grandmother is in pain because she knows her promise. That's how you change legacy, and that's how you change your future generations. That's how you break the strongholds. I see so many believers that are so resentful, that, are cre- that have so much pain, and no matter what, it's just so hard because they don't want to let anybody in. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in you? And if you do need support, I mean, if you can put on the last slide, here is our information. We have a team of counselors. That, it's not even a, a, a commercial for us. Because you can do this at home. This you can do at home. You can do this with the Holy Spirit in your devotional time. But in the event that you're not able and you need more support, we're here to support you. We want to see you living from the pit to your promise. From the pit to your promise. And in that, you will be able to have the glorious life in him. Amen. How many of you want to live the glorious life in him? Can I tell you that what you say needs to reflect what you do? Because the moment it doesn't, it actually creates a lot of brain tension. Studies show that. So only declare what you really are going to do. Don't say yes. I'm not, I'm not, I want you to say yes. But don't say yes if you're not committed to the process for yourself. Because then there's a tension of the future that you knows that you're supposed to be doing it with your present. That tension creates stress in your brain. It actually can give you a headache, for reals. So let's be true to our word, and let's work on going back into our pit, being freed from our presence so we can live in our promise and be able to have that glorious life in him. Can you please stand to your feet with me, please? I have, I'm a couple minutes over. I want to respect your time, but I do want to finish this time in our prayer. Did somebody grab a, a, a nugget, a gem today? that they're going to put into practice, that they're committed? This isn't a feel-good kind of great women's breakfast. But when you do this process, oh, it feels good. It, listen, when you go to the gym and you lift those weights, you're tired, but it feels good. It feels good when you do emotional work. Oops. It feels good. Why? Because the enemy no longer will have a hold on you. And you will be able to live the glorious life in him. So right there where you're at. If you can just close your eyes with me, please. Let's give this last minute of undivided attention. And if there's anybody in this place that they're like, wow, how do I do this? Can I just tell you that I would have never been able to do this without Jesus? Keep your eyes closed. I would have never been able to do this without Jesus. Jesus is the only reason I've been able to go into my pit to surrender my will and allow his will to be done in my life. And if there's, any, is there, if there's anybody in this place that doesn't know Jesus, I would love to give you this opportunity to accept Jesus to be part of your life. And you were like, I don't know what that means. It just means that you no longer will do life alone. That you will have the Holy Spirit walking with you, being your comforter, your advocate, being your counselor, being the one that would guide you, And that at the end of this life, we have an eternity with God our Father. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus and you might not have it all put together in your mind, but you're just like, I need that. Would you just kindly pop up your hand so I can pray with you, please? Thank you. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So all together, you can put your hands down. We're going to pray together with these beautiful ladies that just rose their hand. And we're just going to pray, make a prayer together, okay? Because now they're part of our family. So I want us all to repeat this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, this glorious day in you. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you love me the same when I have been good and when I have been bad. And thank you that today marks a new beginning in my life where I no longer will do life alone. 
but the Holy Spirit will walk with me. And then when I get to heaven, I will have this opportunity to be right there with you in heaven for eternity. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give a round of applause to the Lord for these ladies. And the ladies that did that for the...